0: Hey Darren, have you been watching us on uh, the Electric Now app? I have. I haven't recently because I, I I watch you pretty much every week when we're doing these things. But yeah, but you know, <laughs> it, it, it's it's you know what I love about it's, the Electric Now app. It's better it's so on video. So easy to use. It's, it's, it's better, really better on video. Easy. Download got... the app and you watch us. That's all there is to it. It's so and, simple. And a lot of other cool stuff too. You go to the app store. It says Electric Now. You download it and then. You In press, the United States. Press the button, and there it is. There it is. And you can choose. You can bookmark it. There's plenty of other movies and TV show to enjoy and episodes of all your favorite Electric Surge podcasts. So why wait? Download the Electric Now app and start enjoying us anytime. If you're a fan of Inglorious Trexperts, you're going to love Trexperts Briefing Room. a new series. Briefing Room? What is that? I was about to explain, then you interrupted oh, me. I'm it sorry. Is, it's curated audio commentaries of classic Star Trek episodes from the original series all the way to Enterprise. You're going to love it as we explore the behind-the-scenes making of all these wonderful Star Trek episodes with cast and crew that you would never expect to hear doing audio commentaries on Star Trek. Sounds like fun. It will be. And you can <laughs> find it on the Trek Treksports podcast feed and on the new Treksports Briefing podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's go see What's out there? Hey, this is Mark A. Altman from Inglorious Trekkers in the 4:30 movie. And if you're a James Bond fan, you want to pick up my new book, Nobody Does It Better: The Complete Uncensored Oral History of James Bond and Spy Mania. It's a hefty tome, and it's available now wherever you purchase books, audiobooks, and digital. Check it out, and I will renew your license to kill personally.
1: Welcome back to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me, as always, is Mr. Stephen Scarlatta. This is part two of our two-part conversation with Joshua Hall, author of Underexposed, The 50 Greatest Movies Never Made. We're going to pick up our conversation right where we left off. I would have loved to have seen Escape from Earth because... Hmm. Uh,
2: First off, I'd like to see the consequent, the consequences from part two, Escape from L.A. That Snake Plissken did at the end of that film by like shutting off all the power, yeah. And, and now him dealing with what he did and now needs to escape the planet because of it. I think that's just really awesome. And I, I mean, I love Escape from L.A. I know that I. I believe I could be wrong but I think before he started shooting that movie his budget got slashed so he wasn't able to do what he really wanted to do with it but Mm -hmm. I still love that movie and um, I just love Kurt Russell as Snake Plissken I would have just loved to have seen him play it one last time and how he what he would have done with the character in the third time what the set pieces would have been like for him to escape the planet would have loved to seen him work with Carpenter again and because it bums me out because when L.A. came out like in Fangoria and Starlog, they were talking about it. They're like, Mm -hmm. it looks like we're going to do this third one if this does well. But, you know, as it says in your book, unfortunately, Escape from L.A. didn't do well. And that. that is that is a that is a bummer because because I remember when that movie Space Jail came out. That's is it called Guy Pierce and he goes into not Space Space
1: Jail <laughs> that, uh... <laughs> that, was, uh... that, was, that was I'm sure the asylum knockoff was called Space Jail. <laughs> well that <laughs> movie, uh, that's the next movie I'm writing, I'll tell you that no. <laughs> <It's>, Wait, <laughs> probably, What is that called?
2: It's not called Space Jail with um, Guy Pierce? Definitely not it's called possible. Space Jail. Well, then...
1: But that movie, yeah, where Carpenter <laughs> successfully sued them for ripping them yeah. off. Uh, yes. I, I always yeah. thought
2: John Carpenter sued them because it was the story to escape from, from earth, but it wasn't, it was, he sued them because it was escape from LA and escape from New York. Like they really, yeah, they pretty much copied it. I, I, I saw that movie in the theaters. I didn't, I haven't seen it since. I did enjoy it when I watched it, but all I could think about when I was watching that movie was, man, I wish
1: this was yeah. Kurt Russell. <laughs> when I was... Also speaking of never too late, cause they keep, Talking about remaking Escape from New York, but I'm like, yeah. Kurt Russell's not dead. Let's just make an old let's they made Logan. Everybody loved Logan. Let's make an old man Snake Pliskin movie. Oh, That'll hell yeah. Dude, great. we have Bring another radius of
2: the Lost Ark coming out, right? Yeah. I mean, another Indiana Jones. I'd much rather
1: get... another uh Snake Pliskin movie than another Indiana Jones movie, personally. Oh,
2: hell yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, they've been trying to get I, They've been trying to get Escape from New York made forever. Like I remember, mm-hmm. you know. So
3: yeah, what Rodriguez was going to do it at one point, right? And mm-hmm. then uh
2: now Lee Whannell's doing it still. Oh, or? so he is doing it. Yeah, and Gerard Butler was attached at one point, and it's just like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it. I mean, I, I'm going to watch it, but I just would rather have Kurt Russell do it one last I mean, I'm time. So, I've, I've been so happy
1: with his kind of post bone tomahawk like. Mm-hmm. career resurgence mm-hmm. uh you know what what everyone thinks about the fast and furious movies i'm just like i think it's awesome that there's oh. like a whole new global generation who's like knows kurt russell again and the fact yeah. that tarantino's <laughs> embraced him oh uh, hell yeah I, I mean no it's what's so crazy is just that was it mickey
2: rourke was supposed to be the villain in death proof and then um
1: oh, he's so good in it
2: yeah. And yeah. then, um, but because of his agents gave them such a hard time, that's when he brought in Kurt Russell and then look what it did with those two guys. Now they were, yeah. they done three movies together. So, you know, it's like, and yeah, and like you said, the fast, the, the in, in, what was it? Fast six, which is the one when, when Kurt Russell turns to Vin Diesel and he says, man, you got to try the ale and he's been shot that's like my favorite. One of my favorite scenes of a Fast and Furious movie. And, uh, that, like, they blur together a little bit for me. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. I've seen them so many. Th- I, I, uh, like five, six, and seven are the same movie in my head. No, I can, I can, I can put maybe five a little bit away. Oh, because yeah, of the climax one through but-
1: five. I, it's very easy for me to remember yeah. what happens. Uh, S- but six, seven, even and eight, six yeah. through eight. I kind of, I'm just like, uh, oh my god, this is the yeah. one where they're fighting a submarine? Like, yeah, that's eight. Yeah.
2: And I, I mix a little x 3 in there because I've seen that a bunch of times because I love that movie, you know. But yeah, it's... Anyway, yeah, Kurt Russell's badass. I would have loved to seen another Snake Plissken. I wish he'd come back in Fast and Furious. I, I wish he was in everything. <laughs> I love the guy.
3: Yeah, would have been great.
1: Uh, wait, are you up again, Hull? Yeah, yeah. So um,
3: I'm going to do uh, the Coen's but- to the White Sea, because I just think that we were really robbed on that one. I think that's one that you, you just think about all, all the people that were involved and how, how did that not happen, you know, um, which is so it's an adaptation of James Dickey's novel To the White Sea. It was going to they were going to Cohen's were going to direct uh, Roger Deakins was on a cinematographer and Brad Pitt was going to star and it was going to be the first time that um, they had all worked together. And it was just budgetary reasons because the whole thing, you know, it's about a, a down pilot in, uh, you know, war. And um, Brad Pitt, who plays the pilot, and he crashed lands. in and, and Japan, he has to make his way. He has to walk, you know, through war-torn with his enemies all around him, you know, and it would have it just been essentially like a silent movie um, with Brad Pitt. And I guess that just wasn't enough for some people.
1: I don't, I don't understand well, it. especially i mean like with tarantino as well cohen brothers are definitely the kind of filmmaker where you almost assume they don't have unmade movies right like they just feel right. like that kind of filmmaker where they're like well this is what our next movie is going to be and somebody's always ready because their movies usually aren't that expensive which again i guess is what killed this is yeah, usually their yeah. movies are just cheap enough that you assume they just kind of roll into whoever their favorite studio or producers are and they're just like give us some money and they're like okay yeah, guys <laughs> let us know when the movie's done no no is that, is that how uh, easy it gets oh geez i don't <laughs> know i'm sure it's not i'm sure they it, it never is if i would say if spielberg some off like has his whole rolodex of unmade movies oh. and that's a guy who essentially do anything he wants he can shit all over netflix for years and they still give him a yeah, giant still okay. overall deal t- <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> and he's yeah. like what are you gonna do about it netflix <laughs> i'm steven Sp- fucking spielberg <laughs> um all okay. right so well this will be an interesting one now for uh my next pick so when we did our episodes our two episodes with peter briggs the moment we were done we did a long chat with him got two episodes out of it basically the moment we were done he emailed us and said oops we forgot to talk about my hellboy spinoff what do we want to do about that and we're like oh i don't know i mean the episode had a nice kind of you know arc to it It seems weird to just like tack on more conversation yeah then i realized well you have a whole chapter about this hellboy spinoff uh, but I think Peter was eager to, you know, he, he had things he wanted to say about it. So I think what we're going to do right now is uh, cut to Peter talking about it and then we'll come back afterwards.
4: Well, you know, obviously uh, Hellboy came out in 2004 and I was the credited co-writer on that along with Guillermo del Toro, although I was actually on the film for two years before uh, Guillermo came on board. So I'd pretty much broken the story at that point. Um, But, um, you know, I figured when the film came out and, you know, I wasn't asked back to do Hellboy 2, uh, that that was was Hellboy uh, over with for me. Um, You know, I've I've actually over the years uh, tried to sort of gently sort of uh, say to Mike Mignola, uh, um, you know, hey, I'd really like to write on um, uh, some of the comic books, but he, you know, hasn't taken the hint. Um, But so, (laughs) no, that was it for me at that point. And then in 2010, I think it was, I was down uh, in New Zealand um, staying with Richard Taylor from Weta Workshop. So, Richard Taylor, um, as Weta were doing special effects on a film I was working on, which was then called Panzer 88, um, and which has gone through its own arduous kind of development process. um, uh, You know, which unfortunately my producer, Gary Kurtz of of Star Wars fame, uh, uh, contracted cancer and and died um, just as we got the financing a couple of years ago. Um, but I was down in New Zealand and, um, you know, I just met with Peter Jackson and the whole Hobbit casting debacle was kind of going on down there. And I ended up staying, uh, for longer than I I'm, was thinking in order to help Peter out with that. Um, as you know, it was, the, um, you can do the research of it. It's just a crazy situation. Um, and I got a call out of the blue from a lady at universal called Lisa Gooding. And Lisa had been a fan of mine for, for years and we tried to find something to do together and hadn't really, um, you know, hadn't really found the one project that connected. And out of the blue, she said to me, um, "Well, it looks like, um, you know, in the wake of Hellboy Two, um, you know, we're not going to be doing a Hellboy Three, but what we are going to do is a spin-off. And would you be interested?" And I kind of, you know, I was, I was already sort of in a in a sort of slight state of um, reality detachment, having kind of been dealing with Peter Jackson for the last few weeks, and and that was kind of like. What and so I was sitting there at Park Road Post, which is just on the road from Weta Workshop, and um, and and had to come up very quickly with the story idea. Um, the the brief was really very simple, which was that they wanted to deal with Matt Goss. Um, I beg your pardon, Luke Goss. Uh, which which Goss is it that I always forget which of the Bross brothers is uh, is the one who who was in Hellboy Two playing Newt as well? <laughs> is it yeah, Mr. Goss? We'll we'll call him Mr. Goss. Um, you know, they want. They had dealt with him on a couple of other projects at Universal and they liked him and, you know, he was somebody they wanted to work with. And they said, well, can you go forward with this? And I said, well, I could, but the, there is a slight problem that at the end of uh, Hellboy 2, uh, Prince Nuada dies, um, you know, or at least is, you know, um, turned into, in, into uh, stuff with his sister. And, um, and, and they said, well, we really want to do this. And I said, well, okay, let me, let, me, let me see what I can come up with. And um, my co-writer on, on Panzer 88 was a, a man called Aaron Mason, um, who um, was working at Universal and um, he and I, um, I mean, that was a coincidence he was working at Universal, but he and I, um, I said to him, look, you know, um, do you want to help me on, on this and we'll, we'll break a story together. And um, we kind of uh, did it over Skype over, over a few days and came up with the initial idea and um, turned it into Universal and um, they liked it. And then a few days later after we turned it in and got the thing about them liking it, they said, yeah, um, there's some problem with theatrical. Um, They're not sure uh, Hellboy 3 might be back on again. Um, So we've got to table this. And this was, as I said, like 2010, 2011. And, And so that was it, the project was dead. And, um, I had, um, I had, uh, gone off to Sweden and gone off to France working on Panzer 88 and, and I was in France, just come back from France to the UK for a short while. And, um, and it, in 2016, um, just as, as Panzer 88, um, collapsed with Gary's uh, cancer diagnosis, I got a call from Universal saying, um, Peter hey it's lisa gooding um you know remember our uh, hellboy story i was like oh hi lisa yeah um well should we do it i was like what and he goes yeah um you know we're, we we uh, we've got the go ahead and um we we want to do it and, and you know how how quickly can you flesh out you know the the treatment um that you did and so i kind of had to sit down and, and again with aaron uh, the, the two of us um, continued working on it, thresh, threshed it out. And so we, we came up with this storyline and the storyline was basically, um, I mean, there were some stipulations as well. We couldn't use Hellboy, um, which is kind of crazy <laughs> for a Hellboy spin-off. Um, I'm not sure what the the rationale was at that juncture, but I said, look, can I, can I have him in the background? You know, um, can I at least have him for one scene? And I'd already talked to Ron about this because I ran into Ron uh, on the first go around um, uh, and I think I bumped into him at the Sons of Anarchy Rap Party and I said, to, he was like, so Briggs, you got anything for me? And, and I was like, uh, uh, well, yeah, I actually talked about another project, which was Mortis Rex. I said, but how would you feel about playing Hellboy again? And he said, well, sure, you know, if they pay me enough money. <laughs> and I was, and, uh, and I sort of said, well, you know, I've got to, you know, would you, would you kind of play him for like literally one scene where you kind of like walk past and say, uh, and just say to Abe, not now I'm busy I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. and I'll walk up and leave it. And, and he said, yeah, sure. You know, why not? And, and I was like, oh, good. So I went, I said to Lisa, look, I've already talked to Ron about this. So can we have him in the background? And she said, yeah, I think that would fly. I was like, good, I like that good. kind
1: of a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Exactly. <laughs> quality. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So um, Kind of what what the story was. I mean, I I know uh, it, it's detailed in uh, Josh Hull's book um, that came out recently in, in more detail. Um, but the story was basically that uh, Abe Sapien still had a psychic connection with Noala, Princess Noala's sister from Hellboy Two, and um, and he was basically doing the Doctor McCoy. Star Trek three kind of um, you know troubled thing after this connection and kind of not really coming to grips with with, with why he has this this thing. And so it, it, it turns into a sort of slightly bit of a detective story with a lot of flashbacks that was sort of Highlander in kind of tone-esque um, that had to do with going back into the history uh, of, I mean, there were, there were some scenes that were sort of um, I can't say replicated from Hellboy 2, but there were extensions of scenes that we see in Hellboy 2, where we see the, the aftermath of uh, Prince Nuada leaving um, uh, the fairy kingdom and how he met Mr. Wink, um, in the, uh, who was being you know, prodded by Spanish conquistadors underneath a, underneath a, a bridge somewhere. And, um, and then right up through um, Nuada going to uh, World War II, Berlin, Making a pact with the Nazis to keep the fairy kingdom aside from what Rasputin was going to be doing, so there was there was a replication of some characters. Ilsa would have been back. Uh, Cronin, there was a fight scene with um, that they they prod Prince Noada into a kind of exhibition bout that watched by uh, a whole bunch of um, uh, you know Nazi youth. where Prince Nuada gets in on with Cronin and has a fight with him, um, and that would have been—I mean, it was pretty much a draw. You know, nobody won. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but that would have been that would have been fun. Um, and and so it was kind of the story of, sort of Prince Nuada going through the uh, going through the the ages as to how he got to the point he was at Hellboy Two, and we actually find out that on a a, a, a sort of middle ages battlefield, Prince Nuada made a deal with the angel of death um, and you know I talked to because Doug Jones is a friend of mine and so I talked to Doug about him reprising Abe and um, and, and reprising, in fact actually I told Doug very late in the game about this that when the project was going to be uh, going through for the second time. Um, but I told him, and, he, and yeah, he want he would have loved to have played both the Angel of Death and, and Abe again. And so Nuada, you know, in order to get Nuada out of the ending, um, you know, it transpires that Nuada made a deal with the Angel of Death, uh, which was the obvious kind of get out. And um, and it it did end with Nuada and Nuala um, retransformed back to life and potential for spin-offs after that and you know uh, you, you you have um uh, noada has uh recanted some of his uh you know some some of his feelings about destroying the the humans um and and anyway events have moved on from that point so um yeah i mean that that was kind of- was it was uh, you know uh, there was an attack I mean the the principal core of the story was an attack on the BPRD in Colorado um that we saw in um the uh, the 2019 reboot you know the, the the new Colorado headquarters so there would have been an attack by uh, invisible monsters um on that headquarters uh, I saw something recently that had invisible monsters in it that was very very oddly like Something we we had put in the story, um, and um, yeah, we, we were at the point. Everyone was very happy with it. We were kind of greenlit, and then a few days later, or Lisa called me from Universal and said, "Look, we've had something strange happen, which is that Dark Horse have come back to us and asked us to put a pin in it. and would, would, Can we have a conference call?" So I had a conference call with Mike Richardson, and I dealt with Mike a few times over the years because. I, um, you know, obviously I'd, I'd written Alien versus Predator, which Dark Horse were tangentially connected to, and and obviously Hellboy, and so I was friendly with Mike, and I'd been to Portland, Oregon, met up with him, and um, we had this conversation. Mike was kind of cagey about it and wouldn't really talk about it, and nobody, not Universal, none of us, kind of knew until we heard about the Millennium uh, deal for the for the 2019 movie uh, that this is what they were alluding to. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, we, we went from kind of ready to rock and roll and we were going to, I was actually talking about directing as well. So, uh, you know, it was a, it was kind of a, a blow to me. Um, so we went from, um, in, on, at the point where we were about to be greenlit to, Hey, Universal's lost the rights. They've gone to millennium and that was the end of the project. Uh, yeah. and You know, I mean, the weird thing is when it it hit the press that I was actually shocked about um, that uh, Mike Mike Mignola and I I talked because I, you know, I hadn't really talked about this to Mike. Um, You know, he was off kind of doing his own thing, but he and I had a conversation and Mike said, well, you know, I literally knew nothing about this project. You know, uh, nobody told me. And I was surprised that Dark Horse hadn't really discussed Ah. it with him because they were certainly aware of the project. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, that was it. And I think, I think now with the, you know, uh, with, uh, the 2019 reboot, not performing in the way that people hoped it would. Um, I uh, wouldn't imagine that there would be a, an opportunity for, uh, coming back to that anyway. I would say it's, that project is dead, but stranger things have happened. <laughs> so,
1: yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. that's the kind of, you know, uh, I feel especially on, streaming platforms like Netflix there's this kind of whole new uh, climate or appetite for adult animation i would even wonder about it seems like the kind of thing you could do as an animated spin off you know that doesn't you could. really you have could, to but be I mean, as you know yeah. i'm
4: trying to write it for a budget. Um, and uh, yeah if you're going to sort of go back and and uh, you know it, like the gloves are off you you can now do anything you want with an animated version of yeah. it I, I would want to roll up the sleeves and say, okay, well, you know, how big can I make this story now? Um, you know, because it had to be doable. I mean, we weren't talking a gigantic budget at Universal. Um, but yeah, um, it, it's it's just sad.
1: I was gonna say I did look it up and it's Luke Goss, uh, for Luke Goss. Way. Well done. Listeners who were also wondering. Um, we already kind of highlighted possibly already answered this question, but just, you know, knowing that you were also thinking about directing it, I was wondering if there was kind of a particular sequence you were getting like really excited about as you were developing it, like, Oh, I can't wait to get in there. and Oh, know, there, there were a
4: bunch. There were a bunch of them. I mean, uh, the Mr. Wink scene with the Spanish conquistadors, I was looking forward to doing that. The, um, the fight with Cronin and uh, um, Nuada would have been fun. Uh, the attack of the in- invisible monsters on the BPRD. That would have been great uh, death and, um, and and that was a nice little scene. I actually just for, for myself to try and sort of, you know, uh, get people excited about it. I did actually sit down and do some uh, photo composite um, kind of work uh, for, for that scene, which I, I have some storyboards for, which I put together. Um, have those been posted anywhere? I think so. I'm not sure where. Um, I could certainly, you know, certainly send them to you if you want. Yeah,
1: to- you can send them to me. I'd, we'd love to post yeah. them on our socials. I will.
4: I'll, I'll, once I get off, I'll, I'll track them down. They were just, they were just kind of me getting photographs of uh, things and trying to say, okay, this is what this scene is going to look like. Um, uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. I'm sorry know, not to interrupt, it.
1: but I, I'm curious how. Like, how were you envisioning the invisible monster attack was going to go? Like, what was, how are they using their invisibility? If you understand, you know what I mean?
4: Well, I think, well, I wasn't the, there was a sequence in, I think it was the new Mortal Kombat movie um, with some invisible monsters that um, I actually lifted it because originally my opening of uh, Hellboy was after uh, after the opening sequence of Hellboy, which is, you know, exactly as, as you see in, in the film, um, it was going to uh, cut from uh, the, uh, the flash of the flashbulb of baby Hellboy having his photograph taken to a flash of lightning and, and Hellboy coming into a uh, tower. Um, and it was going to be, you know, essentially what you saw later on in the 2019 reboot, which was Hellboy rescuing um, the, the uh, kidnapped kid, from the fairies, and they had, uh, and it was a, a cross between the uh, Iron Boots story that Mike did, and um, and the, the Imal Fada, I'm pulling all this from memory, so I hope that that makes sense, um, which was a, an, an invisible creature that Mike had in in um, one of the comics. And so the thing is that when Hellboy hit it, it became visible. Um, so you saw it for a flash, and then, you know, you, you'd see it like stomping through puddles and and you see it interact with the environment and i was surprised when i saw mortal kombat i was like oh hell that was my creatures <laughs> so um you know uh, it was good to see that the scene worked um but yeah that would have been hellboy's introduction uh, and then he comes uh, and then he's um, brought in by bprd guys and he comes back into the bureau and And, you know, the story kind of carries on from where you sort of see that. But um, that was kind of what I was doing with, uh, you know, it was like, if you imagine that the creature from the id, the monster from the id from Forbidden Planet, um, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. it was trying to get an artifact, um, which was, um, I think it was the helmet, uh, the the helm of Nuada um, from Hellboy 2 that was in the BPRD storage. And i uh, the the bad guy in it the, there was a bad guy there was a second bad guy who was um, uh, somebody who was vying for nuala's attention from the fairy kingdom who was basically a rival to nuada because you know that whole thing with nuada and nuala is um, even though they're brother and sister is in the film it, it's kind of I, I think it's fairly explicit that it is borderline incestuous um and and so you know there was a there was another suitor for nuala who um, and you f- you kind of actually find out that there is a little bit of backstory that um, he set Nuada up, which was the reason for the expulsion of Nuada from the fairy kingdom to begin with. So I sort of added a little bit to Del Toro's narrative there. Um, and, um, uh, and. And yeah, so he was behind the invisible creatures trying to get this artifact back that would restore him to being the ruler of the fairy kingdom. And, um, you know, um, Stuff happens. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, awesome. Uh, well, I think that's a good place to end that journey. Um, okay. I, I wish we could have gotten to see that. That would have been cool.
4: It would. It was. I think it was a really fun story. Universal were very, very happy with it. I mean, we, I, Aaron, and I turned the story in, and um, you know, they, they came back almost immediately and said, "Yeah, we want to do this." And I was like, you know, that's not something I hear very often as a, as a writer. And it was, so that was gratifying. And it's just, it was crazy that, you know, it went down, the project went down the first time and then it went down the second time. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I think as a, as a working screenwriter, you kind of have to develop a Teflon hide in Hollywood and just kind of, you know, roll with the punches because, you know, your, your, your job is a walking punch bag and, you know, it's on to the next project.
1: Oh, I know that all too well. There you go. <laughs> and as you said, hey, you never
4: know, though. Stranger you don't, but things you know, I, 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 what I like is things like this. You know, I'll end up cannibalizing stuff, uh, probably from it for uh, other projects in the future. So, you know, maybe some variant of it will end up in something.
1: Uh, cool. Well, thanks, man, uh, for hopping on like this.
4: I think it's, it's a pleasure. Uh,
1: yeah, and I'm, I'm glad we got this out there. I was bummed that we missed it on yours. And in a way, this is almost more fun. Uh, it is because, it you know,
4: it, at least it ties in with Josh's book, so it's nice. Yeah.
1: And now we're back. Uh, I guess that's weird to suddenly cut back to a thing we didn't actually get to hear live while we're all talking. Mm-hmm. No, but I mean, uh, I don't know how you guys feel about it. But I, I definitely think as a big fan of the Hellboy comics, uh, you know, we got two great movies out of it in my personal opinion um but it's it's a franchise that had so much more room to grow mm-hmm. more proper hellboy movies but the comics themselves had so many spinoffs mm-hmm. and i just love mike mignola's whole like aesthetic world he built out of that kind of like fun cross between supernatural and sci-fi and superhero yeah yeah, no, I, I, I
3: wish, you know, I, I wish, I love, I love the first two as well. Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Um, and I, you know, was always hoping that they, you'd get the BPRD movie one day, you know, which was kind of what this was going to start was that whole side series of, of those individual or other group adventures. And so, you know, it's unfortunate we didn't get to see some of those characters come to the screen.
1: Um, yeah i'm not that surprised because that was always an example of a franchise that was really getting pushed through by like goodwill and fan reaction and i think Mm -hmm. the fact that uh it, you know, Del Toro is one of those guys where just after each failure, he's like, well, now I'm gonna win, make something that wins Oscars. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the I'm studios will give it. me more money for something that doesn't make enough money, but then doesn't I'll make, make something that wins more Oscars and the cycle <laughs> will continue. Uh, but yeah, I, the movies were never making tons of money. It was just the fan, the right. people who liked them really liked them. And I don't think they ever like lost a lot of money. It was kind of right. just enough um so I, I guess how we can really expect them to build it up but it makes you wonder if those have just been happening a decade later with all the streamers like that that's where i really think things like netflix like that's the space they thrive in mm-hmm. are doing these things like uh granted that was amazon did coming to america too but it's kind of the movies where it's like you're kind of like oh i'm curious about that I don't know if I'd pay money to go see it in the theater, but if you just suddenly tell me I can click a button and watch it. And I, I think that the Hellboy movies probably are like that for a yep. lot of people. You put that up, put a, a, an Abe Sapien spinoff up on Netflix, maybe even an animated one, you know, like I think that could do well.
3: Yeah, for sure. Uh,
1: and how about you, Steve, to close this out here? Uh, mine, um,
2: I was happy to see in his book that he had uh Jodorowski's King shot in there. And being a Jodorowsky fan, uh, I was like living on IMDb when he was trying to make the sons of El Topo. I was always checking the page every day, the IMDb page, because I really wanted that movie to be made because I just wanted a new Jodorowsky movie. Um, I mean, I, Rainbow Thief, you know, is his last film, but it didn't, you know, it, I mean, it, it does feel like a Jordanowski movie, but it's not the Jordanowski movie that, you know, being a fan of Fondo and Liz and El Topo and Holy Mountain. But then when King shot was announced, um, it, you know, David Lynch was going to produce it. And it just felt like he called it like a, a meta physical spaghetti Western. And
4: mm-hmm. it was going
2: to star like Nick Nolte Marilyn Manson was gonna be in Sons of El Topo, so he was being carried over into this film along with uh, Aja Agento. And then some places it was rumored that David Hess was gonna be in it, which I was pretty psyched mm-hmm. about, and Udo Cure. And and it just looked like him melding uh, El Topo, the Western, and putting that in the world of Holy Mountain in a way. It was just like the Jodorowsky movie I was waiting all these years for, you know, but yeah, I mean, I'm happy that he's make it, that he made two new movies. He, he went in a direction of kind of reinventing himself where he was doing these autobiography, auto, autobiography movies about himself. I mean, good for him. He, he did something different, you know, He reinvented himself, but, uh, but that was the one, if I couldn't get sons of El Topo, that would have been the one that I would have, I would have loved to have seen, you well, know, he, it,
1: yeah i'd compare him in in a sense to like terry gilliam where there's certain filmmakers that just for whatever reason you kind of have to give them too much money you know Mm -hmm. like they they just if you give them too much money they're going to make something spectacular that's going to lose you all that money but it's going to be this amazing (laughs) film classic that we'll still be talking about for decades yeah Um,
2: exactly and i don't know if that world back then would have I don't know. I mean, I get, we don't know. We, 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 never will know. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> but it would have been nice to have like an old school Jordorowski movie again, you know, yeah. but I, I am happy. He made two more movies. I am re- really happy. You know, I mean, third movie, I, I hadn't seen the last one, unfortunately, but I think, um, but um, I know he's trying to complete a trilogy with endless poetry and um, dance of reality. So hopefully we'll still get that. But yeah, but that was cool to see in your book, you know, it's been interesting to see Marilyn Manson as like a 300 year old cannibalistic Pope and yeah. like a, like a casino that was in the shape of like Jesus's head <laughs> out in the middle of the desert. It was supposed to be like a remains of a giant as big as King Kong. And it just, all these crazy elements, you know, normal, and I'm like <laughs> yeah you know
1: well knowing guess- yodorowsky he would have been like no we really need to build the dead giant
4: yeah. that can't be
1: like a matte painting or a yeah. cg it has to be a real thing we're only gonna use it for one shot though but you need to build the whole thing <laughs> um
2: exactly yeah, I, also, be- I
1: also like that uh steve's dot gets a little shout out where you kind of note that like really we you know we got to talk about Yodorowski's Dune, but there's already this whole doc you can watch. Yeah. That was the
3: thing where, where, where I kept getting that question. Why is that not in the book? And I'm like, there, there's an entire fantastic documentary about, this. you know, like I don't, I just you know, watch that? Or it is the same thing with uh, Kubrick's Napoleon. Right. Right.
1: Where I'm like, there's a, there's an 800 page book on, on, mm-hmm. on. No, we've had the that. same thing. We're like, should we do an episode on that? And it's just like, I mean, yeah, it's what's part. left to say really. Yeah. yeah, it's
2: more yeah. about the research, I think, with Napoleon. That's you would interesting. think a Napoleon
3: book would be shorter.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's but I totally hear you on on all that stuff. Yeah. And
1: actually, maybe to cap it, uh, uh, I made note of this that I this is more of an example of how it's fun, funny how some things just like never die. Uh, and this is not an example of a movie that I really wish they make, because I think this actually would have been a perfect example of a movie that wouldn't have aged well. I'm more surprised they didn't make it. And that was Hammer Films came very close to making a Vampirella movie. Mm. Uh, and for people who don't know Vampirella, it was very popular 70s comic book character who has an extremely revealing uh, outfit as female comic book characters um, usually did and still kind of do um and they they had a a playboy playmate lined up to play the part i think they even like had promos featuring Mm -hmm. her kind of in costume that they put into comic books and magazines and stuff um as you kind of note in the book that were you gonna say oh no no no. go ahead sorry oh just that like you know not really sure exactly why it fell apart it just kind of did they stopped having announcements about it yeah um But if you look up the actress, I'm forgetting your name at the moment. uh, I think she even like on her like fan site still have like a picture of her next to one of her Vampirella cardboard cutouts. Uh, But the reason I was gonna bring that up is that my writing partner and I were briefly attached to a Vampirella movie. They did make one in the 90s. uh, Jim Warnowski, one of the great like I don't even think you'd call him Grindhouse. I'm trying to think of what you'd one of the real like b, b- or even yeah, c yeah, yeah. movie yeah. Mm-hmm. kings he's definitely one of those guys who always seem to make like the straight to video sequel or straight to video like part three or four to like a zillion different franchises yeah i mean some of yeah. those movies i love but uh point being it's not that was a bit of a drop down from what would have been a proper 70s hammer movie when they're kind of still in their prime
3: yeah yeah it was uh barbara barbara lee was Not cool. really, yeah, yeah, but so uh, what? So, what, uh, so what happened with your project?
1: Just- that was more of like a, a rights snafu. There was, it was, and this, this we've had happen a lot is where, um, and it's oftentimes annoying as the writers, you are unaware of this. I mean, sometimes I think this one was a legitimate, like, they maybe had a misunderstanding what their deal was with the people who currently own the rights, but we've definitely had it for things where we'll go in for meetings and they'll be like, what do you think of doing like a blah, blah, blah movie? Right. Uh, I, mean, I don't think this is even like revealing anything. We This happened to us with an inspector gadget movie. Uh, this was years ago. We're like, Oh yeah, that'd be, that'd be a fun, like family live mm-hmm. action inspector gadget. But where now you have like cool CG to do all his you know, it's oh, kind of yeah. like a, it's like a funny family friendly Iron Man, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was one where then we kind of realized like, oh, this company doesn't have the rights to it. Like they want to mm-hmm. take us and our idea and go pitch it, go pitch it. to the people with the rights. Uh, and we, like, that was also a thing where the guy, like, you know, you meet with like a lower level executive and then they eventually bring you to the person who runs the company. And sometimes that person either just doesn't like her. In this case, it was like, we just didn't like, the like notes he had and we'd by that point we'd already learned that they don't have the rights to it so we were kind of like what do we even need you for right we can just go meet with the rights people we never did because our agents will be like oh it's good they'll they'll piss off this company and we're just like well okay nice to know that apparently you can just go around town and be like hey we should do a batman movie (laughs) oh cool uh, and then you yeah. eventually go try to pitch uh, the people who actually control Batman but, yeah, to, to, to Warner Brothers. And like, yeah, but that's the business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. You don't own Batman, Dave. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Didn't <laughs> mean to mislead you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Warner Brothers and DC Comics owns Batman. <laughs> oh, you would have known that. Oh, that's man. Funny. And I
2: think the the 90s Vampirella, it was written by the guys that did uh, Pumpkinhead. And I don't think it turned out the way they wanted it. Oh, so I'm sure, God. Yes.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a very that's, uh, I, cheap, I, inexpensive <laughs> kind of movie. I'm sure they were like, yeah, it'll be a cool Vampirella movie. And then, you know, I'm sure it made money, though. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it made money on that that
3: market yeah. they i were, mean you like, know has, uh, you know? just
1: show some woman wearing the vaporella <laughs> mm-hmm. costume and that was a funny thing about like and you know i think we actually had a pretty fun take on it but it is also one of those things where it's kind of like well we can't like no one want. well, I should say, I think a lot of people still want to see her in that costume, but let's more say that you're not going to get that movie greenlit. and no actress, no like legitimate movie star actress is going to wear the her, her yeah. original outfit is barely even a swimsuit. You yeah. know, yeah. it's yeah. more like two ribbons uh, <laughs> that just yeah. sort of like loop around I mean, your yeah. body. Yeah. Um, but that yeah. was like a conversation where just like, well, she can't, is there like a scene where we just say she's wearing like a, swimsuit so we can <laughs> show her in the outfit uh it's a very <laughs> weird character though and i, th- I think the, as you know in the book the original movie the 70s the hammery movie was going to be very true to the comic which is that she is an alien who happens to be a vampire but they are different than the earth normal vampires and kind of get offended if you confuse them Uh, as as
3: yeah obviously
1: (laughs) (laughs) i think in our version we were going to maybe be more like well maybe she's not an alien though that's weird um but again maybe then you gotta pick one side you can't be both. (laughs) but admittedly then it's also maybe well maybe we shouldn't even make the movie if we're Mm -hmm. not going to be giving something totally faithful um yeah to what the comic fans want lessons learned
2: (laughs) oh man well thank you for that story it's a trip (laughs)
1: You're welcome.
2: Got some bonus.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. some bonus unmade movies. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so again, the book is Underexposed, the 50 greatest movies never made by Joshua Hall, forward by Mr. Fred Decker. Um, Yeah, do you have any kind of parting thoughts or i mean especially i think people should connect with you on social media because you do have a movie that did it just wrap shooting or it's just about wrapped to shoot? on,
3: it just wrapped filming on saturday um oh, so, wow. so it was um literally literally we're in the like uh you know where everybody's kind of getting getting back into the groove of of what's you know what are we doing now that that people aren't chasing down you know props and all that kind of <laughs> stuff but you know, it, it's uh, it's a horror movie that. Um, luckily, uh, we have the wonderful Rebecca McIndry is directing the movie. Um, uh, for
1: it, our long-time listeners, was on actually one of our most uh, popular episodes. She was on our uh, Guillermo del Toro's "At the Mountains of Madness" episode.
3: Yeah, so she's 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 wonderful. She is, um, you know, lucky lucky to have her bringing that that story to life but um and then we have I can't wait for it to be announced but we have a wonder we have an academy award winning actor attached to the project and it's just you know it's going to be something we're real excited about um, oh it's awesome yeah i'm nice. real excited it's the first it's my first um my first screenplay outside of like me making my own movies that is being sort of brought to life by you know that this wonderful team of producers and filmmakers and so it's just it's it's been a wonderful process.
1: Yeah wait and I think I was just looking at it uh my friend Christian is one of the producers. He is one of yes he is yeah (laughs) yeah um yeah they they
3: we it was it came about um this was the early days of of the pandemic of March twenty twenty and um I sent I sent a script to um my buddy Jason Goldberg, who ended up reading this script. It was a different script. Um, uh, I the I wrote a sort of fantastical take on the making of Evil Dead. Um, that's sort of like the Disaster Artist, but but set in the horror yeah. world. And so um, I sent it to him just to read, and he asked what else I had. So I sent him this script, and and he was like, two days later, we were on a Zoom with Rebecca, and Christian came on board like really quick. Um and so yeah we just spent we, the entire sort of pandemic was spent kind of you know prepping it and getting it ready and, and and then um so yeah now it's wrapped um a little over a year later from the from the very first um introductions with everybody uh,
1: it is wow. truly a small town in the sense that when we first were trying to set up this episode you were like oh i got a movie i'm going to be on production i'm like oh that's cool Uh, And obviously since I'm friends with those people, I see them posting that (laughs) we're about to go make a movie. And then at some point I'm like, wait, this is the same movie. Yeah. yeah, It's just, it's just been, um,
3: you know, it's been a wonderful experience working with that entire team just, you know, and not being, none of us have ever, well, now, they have but like you know there was nobody was meeting in person you know we have it was all just a good faith joining putting bringing this movie to life and and it worked out it's worked out so far you know um and the, every all the footage and everything was great so i'm just
1: actually uh, i may want to ask you a little more about it and just because i feel like one of uh my basic pieces of advice i usually give someone if they're like asking like uh, oh how do i you know get into the Entertainment industry, and I'm like, well, unfortunately, it's going to be a handicap if you don't move to L.A., yeah. or if not L.A., maybe New York. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's not like you can't do it; it's just that you're adding kind of a roadblock for mm-hmm. yourself. So I think it's kind of inspirational that you've managed to make this happen. As you noted, your previous movies were all kind of within the microcosm of mm-hmm. uh, Indiana. So how did you meet your producer friend who kind of helped kick this it off? Was, yeah, it
3: was it, it all just Facebook really was, we were just Facebook friends. We, um, you know, we had never really talked and it was just, you know, I, I would, you know, it's just, you know how it goes. I mean, you you like posts, you, you know, you sort of yeah. interact that way via how, how people interact these days or network, I guess. Um, and it was really um the whole reason was he, he, he's a stay at home dad, obviously when the pan, you know, he was stuck at home with his family, like we all were, you know? And and so he, had, it was just a, he put a, a Facebook update that said, uh, I'm losing my mind in the early days of the pandemic. I'm willing to read the first <laughs> few scripts that come my way, you know? And I was like, Oh, I'll just send him this one. And, and it was really, if you don't want to read it, don't read it. You know, it's, it's totally up to you. Here's a log line, but whatever, you know, I just you might enjoy it as a, as a genre horror fan. You might not. And then, and he read it, I think within two days. And that's when, you know, it was all a week where it all, he read that script. And then he read that uh, the script that we just wrapped on, but it was really just all by chance and by luck and just me (laughs) sort of taking a shot. And then um, from there, it was just still like, you know, I was a, I was, I'm a big fan of Rebecca. And so it was when her name came on, when he was like she she's interested in, in making this film i was like yeah uh 100 let's just do it you know and and, and really that's kind of just been my whole my whole outlook with with everything over the last since the book and since this film and, and other projects that are kind of in different stages of development right now it's just let's just do it just go for it because right you know if anything we learned from the last year is all you can make anything work from wherever you are at this point you know obviously like what you said is extremely crucial and and i'm gonna have to reckon with that at some point but, you know but but at this at this moment and and in the world we're kind of living in right now is there's no excuse for nobody to really start taking some of those shots you know if you're not in that area now what happens after that yeah you know you there's gonna have to be some 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 thoughts and, and behind it but i'm just you know i i lucked out really by just trusting the, the right people and and that's how how it happened
1: Well, you also, uh, I think it demonstrates, another thing I like to tell people is networking is extremely important, but I don't, I almost think you shouldn't call it networking. I think if you're calling it networking, you're almost thinking of it wrong. You should just be making friends yeah make friends go make Uh more friends Mm -hmm. people Uh can tell if you're just networking and they unless you know sometimes that works there are these moments of just like really soulless interaction where you're kind of like oh i remember so and so worked at that thing and somehow it's mutually beneficial or maybe you just luck out and they're a really good person that wants to help you even though they can tell like you're just asking a favor from them completely undeserved because you're not friends the easiest way though is to just make lots of friends uh like you yeah, and it's just yeah
3: and in our whole and and ever since Jason and I started talking and and then once Christian came on board and Rebecca it's just it's just we want to make stuff we just want to make stuff with with wonderful people and 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 just support each other as much as you can because it's such a grind and it's obviously hard as hell to make a movie and so when you can find your your crew or or a group of people that you can do that with successfully you got to keep pushing and 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 try to cultivate that as much as you can and and you know i get i can't wait to see what happens with everything
1: yeah right on well uh where can people find you on social media so because we can't talk about the name of that movie yet but i think yeah by yeah. the time this episode airs hopefully there's been some announcements and should
3: be should be some announcement um so i'm on twitter and instagram at, at joshua the hall all lowercase um same same name on both. So it's easy to, to track me down and harass me about how much you don't like the mm. book or like my movies or like me, um, uh, you know, and then, uh, yeah, and then I'm just on, you know, I'm pretty easy to find on Facebook. I'm just, I'm pretty easy to find wherever,
1: you know, uh, and you can find us on Instagram at Best Movies Never Made and on Twitter at Never Made Film. also recommend that you download the Electric Now app, which is a free app that's full of lots of content, movies, TV shows, but more relevant here. Video of our podcast and all our sister podcasts like Trek Trexperts and the 430 movie. Uh, We want to thank everyone here at our network, Electric Surge, including Bill Ritter and our producers, Mark A. Altman and Dean Devlin. Uh, Until next time, this is Josh Miller and Stephen Scarlato saying we won't see you at the movies.
0: This is a production of the Electric Surge Network.